If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 19. Psalm chapter 19. Fitting psalm to look at after the song we just sang. It's funny, every time I go to the doctor, the question they always ask, especially if you're going somewhere new, is do you have any allergies? Are there anything that you're allergic to? And my only answer, and I'm guessing there's some of you that are like this, is I'm allergic to changes in the seasons. Is anyone else like that, that any time the weather changes outside, uh, it goes from spring to summer or winter to spring, things bloom, and as the flowers unfold, tears burst forth from your eyes and not tears of joy. I'm like that. I, I've had pretty uh, gnarly allergies for a while now, every time spring comes around. But something happened to me last month that had never happened to me before. Um, I remember I was supposed to church work and that bothered me for a little bit. And I come down to the basement and I'm, I'm looking in the hallway down there. You know, our offices are down below. I come into the hallway and it looks like it's smoky. And I'm like, is it smoky in the hallway? And I bring, you know, Caden. Caden's working and there's another intern working. I said, Caden, is it smoky in here? And Caden, being a good intern, wanting to honor his boss, goes, oh yeah, it kind of looks smoky. Doesn't look, it's not smoky at all, by the way. Someone else goes, no, it's not, Caden. He lied to me in that moment. That's okay, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, we looked at that, and I'm like, no, something's off. And I'm going through the day, and I decided, like, maybe I'll go home. Like, I'll try to take a quick nap. I gotta be back that night, and that'll help, because sleeping is, like, the ultimate reset button. See if it works. And I come, and as I'm going, like, like it is getting harder to see what do I do with this? And so I'm supposed to go to elders meeting that night and my wife goes, you are barely able to see. You cannot drive uh, you and your neighbor, uh, Lennington, down to elders meeting. So I stay home, I call Matt and say, can you do the things I'm supposed to do? I wake up the next morning and in uh, my eyes that night hurt so bad, like piercing pain. The next morning I wake up, has this ever happened before? Like, I can't look at sunlight, like any light at all. It's like the Urukai coming down in the two towers and I'm like backing up. Like it's, it's really, really painful. So I have to wait, Katie gets a doctor's appointment. And here's the humiliating part that you guys will appreciate. Katie's gotta drive me 25 minutes to a doctor's appointment. The sunlight is awful and I don't own a pair of sunglasses. So I borrow Katie's, which are <laughs> rightly so very feminine. And so there I am sitting on the front seat with my women's sunglasses on while my wife's driving me, bawling. I'm like, I don't even know what to do, just going for it. And I go and the doctor says, you've got some bacteria, you need to do some drops. And it was kind of awesome. Like, took the drops at noon. I took the, Katie and I were supposed to go on a date that night. Uh, Hope came over to babysit. I saw Hope somewhere earlier. And we said, hey, we're just gonna go out at eight when it's dark out and then I could actually like live as a creature of the night. But eventually my eyes got better, and to this day, I could still see most of you in the deflated palm tree. But here's, the, here's why I tell you that story. When you can't see properly, it obviously affects your life. Uh, when you can't see things, when you're bumping into things, it harms how you live. The same is true when it comes to your view of the world. Not your physical view of how the world works, but your spiritual view. We live in a day and age with a lot of confusion about how I'm supposed to think about life, how I'm supposed to think about my existence, how I'm supposed to think about my purpose, how I'm supposed to think about 
love. Even nowadays, there's, there's questions about, well, can somebody choose their gender? Is love always love? Questions like, is there such thing as absolute truth? Can we know what happens beyond this life? And what we need is clarity. We need to be able to see things rightly. The, the mindset of the world today is if there's moral confusion, if you're not sure about what's supposed to be true, you decide what's going to be true. Heal thyself, as it were, if you're not seeing things rightly. We all know that's not, that doesn't really work. You know, if, if I think A and someone thinks B the opposite, obviously they can't, right? They can't both coexist together. And so how do we understand rightly how we're supposed to view the world? Now, how do we regularly make sure that we're viewing things rightly? The, the answer that I will talk about later for us is that the God of the universe who's made the world has left us a manual of how the world works. And it's the word of God. It's the Bible. Not just a collection of religious books, but God himself has spoken to us in his word. And as we hear from him, we don't come up with our ideas, our own philosophies. We come to understand from the one who made the world how the world actually operates. And so this summer, what I want to challenge you to do, as we kind of talked about this as a time of spiritual reading, I want to challenge you this summer here on Wednesday nights. Uh, I think it'd be good for you to be here. If you look at your booklet, uh, you can go ahead now and turn to page, let's see, page chapter, uh, not chapter, page five. You'll see there's sermon notes for tonight. And as you go through every week, you'll find there's a place for you to take sermon, sermon notes all summer long as we tackle issues tonight like, how, uh, why do we love the Bible? Next week is, how can we trust that the Bible's true? The week after that, how can we say there's only one true religion? The week after that, can someone choose their own gender? The week after that, what does real religion look like? We're, we're tackling some of these big questions that we need to answer we're going to do that this summer on Wednesday nights. But here's what I want y'all to think about and what I want y'all uh, to participate in. If you flip the page, what you'll notice is this summer, we've put together for you a Bible reading plan. Uh, a, a day where you could go Monday through Friday, uh, one chapter a day of reading God's word, of constantly having your vision refined so that you're seeing things rightly. Some of you, this, uh, this semester, spiritually, you've noticed you've sort of fallen apart. And you've also noticed that your Bible has pretty much remained in the same position from Wednesday to Sunday to from Sunday to Wednesday. There's not much reading going on. If you want to grow this summer, let's be in the Word. Uh, I, I've encouraged the staff to go ahead and read through this as well. Uh, we want you guys not only to read it solo, but you could talk with your small group about it. Maybe even tomorrow, some of you could start a text thread with your group. Did we do the reading today? What did you guys notice? I know uh, on Mondays in the summer, Karen and Santa Clara comes down here at the church say, hey, if you want to talk, you can do that together. But you guys can do that with your groups as well. We want to be those who are reading the Bible. And let me give one other caveat. Maybe you're new, and, uh, and you're one of those that does not believe that the Bible is God's, uh, is revelation from God. You think it's an old religious book. I would just say, come test it for yourself. Like, the Bible's claims are so radical. And as you'll see next week, so potentially true that you maybe shouldn't just ignore it because of one Wikipedia page, but you should check it out for yourself. Read God's word with others and, and see for yourself what this book has to say. 
And I think when you read it, you'll find it's much more than what it's advertised to. So I'm excited about this. I'm excited about the topics on Wednesday. I'm excited on uh, during the week. So starting tomorrow, you could see, we'll be looking at Psalm 19. You could do that in your reading tomorrow. And it's always nice when the teacher ends class 15 minutes early so you can get a head start on homework. And that's what we're gonna do tonight. We're gonna look at Psalm 19. So look at that. If you're like, I don't wanna do the reading plan. After tonight, you've already done day one. Too bad. Sorry, you've started. And God start, finishes what he starts, so you should too. So Psalm 19, if you're not there, that's where we're gonna be. Let's look at Psalm 19 together, and then I'll pray uh, to begin our, our time tonight. Chapter 19, it says to the choir master, saying in Israel, a psalm of... David writes, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of Yahweh is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The rules of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Keep your servant also sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. These are the very words of the living God. Let's pray as we look at this passage tonight. Heavenly Father, as we kick off this summer, Lord, we do want clarity. And as we think about spending time in your word on Wednesdays, spending time in your word throughout the week, we pray what we just sang, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would use your truth to shape us in your likeness that you would help us to see your glory, that we might have clarity on the world, on ourselves, and on you, Lord. Help us tonight. Help me say what is helpful and forget what is not. And may you use tonight to build up believers and reach the lost. We love you, Lord. Amen. Psalm 19, if you're one of those note takers, again, this is your head start for your Bible reading plan. Congratulations. If you're a note taker, we have... Two points tonight, very simple. Two things I want you to see in this passage. The first one is in verses one through six. We'll call it the glory of God in creation. 
the glory of God in creation. You are hoursy people. You are hiking people. You have tents and hammocks and pocket knives that you don't just use in your, use in your homeschool co-op, but you actually maybe use to like cut trees and stuff. I don't know. Some of you are outdoorsy types. You like fishing. Uh, who is outdoorsy? You would describe yourself as outdoorsy. That's good. Some of you are not outdoorsy. You get the, the allergies like I do. Uh, you, you, are, you prefer the comfort of a bed, not a sleeping bag, etc. I get it. I'm, I'm with you. I think I'm in your camp there. But what this passage is saying is whether or not you like being outdoors, it's telling us that all of creation is telling us something. It's proclaiming something to us. Verse 1 says, The heavens declare, the skies proclaim, pours out speech, night reveals knowledge. There is a, a message that's being said everywhere. And that message that we see in all of creation is that God is glorious. It says, The heavens declare, the skies, they declare the glory of God. That every living thing that we see, whether it's a redwood or a wild animal, every living thing tells us a message even though it does not speak. Okay, this isn't Pocahontas theology. I know every rock and tree and creature has a voice, has a spirit, have a name. But it's all giving you a message. And the message is this, is that I am created. The trees and the mountains and the clouds and all things we see declare something made me. Something made those things that we look at. Day-to-day -day speech is poured out. Night-to-night, -night, knowledge is revealed. And it's interesting here because David says in verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So there's a voice that we all hear from a voiceless messenger. Right? This is like saying nonverbal communication. It, it sounds oxymoronic, but it's true. You are being told, you are being broadcasted a message every single day when you look at creation. And you are learning, what is it that's being declared? The glory of God. The glory of God. We see it in all I mean, the design of creation. When you see all the parts of a flower, and it's beauty and it's simplicity. Or when you look up at night and you see the stars like we'll do in New Mexico this summer. Right? You're away from the city and you see, man, there are countless myriads of stars in the sky. When you think about rivers, when you go look at the Grand Canyon as some of you have. I mean, think about some of the most amazing processes we take for, uh, for granted. You know, think about uh, birth. You know, there's the process of fertilization, which if you don't know what that is, you can ask your parents about that later. And then 40 weeks later, a tiny human has arrived. And then they grow. And then they like learn to start walking and they have teeth. And those teeth fall out. Which by the way, isn't it great that God has our teeth fall out between like three and six, not in our 20s. Uh, but anyway, we could talk about that another time. Right, like that, that's amazing. How does that happen? Uh, you go to the zoo and you see all sorts of animals from all around the world and, and all different and unique and beautiful coloring. Personally, I've gotten to travel to, to a handful of places. I'm not much of a traveler, but I've gotten to see the beauty of the tropical islands of Hawaii. 
And I've gotten to drive up into Colorado and see mountains. And I've gotten to go to Uganda and look out on the savannah. And everywhere you just see something made this. It's silent speech telling us that God is real. From something. Explode into oration. Uh, Katie and I were able uh, to get away this past weekend. Uh, we went up to San Francisco. We stayed in a hotel. Um, the hotel is like a semi-popular like, hotel. It's, it's called the St. Francis. It was, born, it was built. It wasn't born. Um, no one birthed the hotel. Um, it was built in 1904, 12 stories high. It's in Union Square, if you've ever been up to uh, San Fran before. And famous people have stayed there. Uh, so somebody attempted to assassinate Gerald Ford there. That's an interesting story. Uh, at one point in 1983, both Ronald Reagan and the Queen, Her Majesty, were there at the same time, which is interesting because the Queen was in the presidential suite and the president was in the royal suite. But anyway, I'm not sure how that happened. But, and, and if you go there, you'll see like there's all this beauty built in. I mean, they, they made it really fancy back then. A lot of original marble, a lot of gold coloring, a lot of murals and fancy chandeliers and, and things that you know, guys just like, oh, it's kind of cool too, I guess. Anyway, I never, like when I look at that hotel, I never thought for a second like that it spontaneously showed up, right? Like you look at that and you think it must have been created. Somebody built it, somebody designed it. A bunch of guys put it together. The same is true when you see a beautiful painting. I know there is a form of modern art that just says splash things at a canvas and that's art, but most beautiful paintings you recognize were designed personally, purposefully. What they tell us as we look at creation, friends, is that God is real. There is a God, but it's not just existence. Notice David is not just saying the heavens declare the existence of God. It says, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now that word glory, that's a, that's a Christianese word we can use sometimes and say it without thinking about what it means. Now the word glory is, in Hebrew it's kavod, it's, it, it actually means heavy, uh, weighty. When Pharaoh uh, the glory of Pharaoh, it's, there's a weightiness that Pharaoh saw himself with. And what the heavens declare is that not only is this God real, but he's bigger than us. He's weightier than us. He's more significant than us. I can't just acknowledge his existence. I have reality that this God is more important is bigger, is more significant than I am. See, seeing the glory of God lowers our view of self. That this God is not, not tame. I don't label him. There's, there's a lot of these uh, superhero movies nowadays that will have gods, and because you know they can't keep plot, Thor's his fourth different version of his character. They can't figure him out. But anyway, um, but like what they do is they have these gods, and I think what that's designed to do to some degree is to lower our view of what a god is. But this is a god who's not like us. He's transcendent. He's bigger, obviously, than, than everything around him. And when we say weighty, not only is he beyond and incomprehensibly, incomprehensibly larger, but in his glory, we also know that this God is, well, he has to be good, right? I mean, doesn't creation point out 
to the goodness of God? Like when you go to the beach and you see a sunset and, and the beauty of that moment, don't you think the God who made that doesn't just exist, but there's a, yeah, there's a benevolence. There's a, there's a, when you drink fresh orange juice or when you watch a little kid enjoying koalas in the tree at the zoo or when you see the stars at night or when you smell fresh flowers, you realize this God is, he's good. He's big, but he's a good God. All of these evidence God's glory. But David points out the most is the sun. We read it, right? In them, in this world, at the end of verse four, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, like a, like a groom on his wedding day coming out in, in glory and splendor. The sun, it says, does the same thing. Now, the sun is a big deal. That's why David talks about it. He compares it to a strong man. He says, nothing is hidden from its heat. It's a big deal for us too. I mean, the sun is on average 93 million miles away from earth and yet it lights up half the planet at all times. You could fit a million earths inside the sun. That's how large it is. It affects our seasons. It affects our light. If we didn't have electricity, we would not be meeting outside like this right now uh, because we don't have the sun. There's a reason why many pagan religions have worshipped the sun because it's so significant on many aspects of our life. And you know what David says about the sun? It says that he set it. That God just put the sun in the sky to run its course. Now I know the earth rotates around the sun. That's not what David's saying here. He's saying from our perspective, there's this great light that controls so much of our life. And God, what did he do? He just placed it. It screams to us that this God is bigger than us. And so friends, tonight what I would say is we look at these first six verses before we move on to the second half. We do realize that creation tells us that God is real. God is real. We ask you this, Christian. For you, I know many of you think that God is real. But is God, for lack of a better phrase, is he a big deal? Do you see him as glorious? Or is he something that like, yeah, you know, God is big and red and yellow make orange and I get that. It's just a fact that I believe. Friends, creation should make us have an exalted, a high, a significant view of who God is. But we need to be careful because that's not all. Romans 1 tells us that because of creation, each of us knows there's a God, but it's not enough to know the God who created everything. So let's look at our second half here, second half of our passage tonight. The first half was the glory of God in creation. The second half is the glory of Yahweh in scripture. Yahweh, and if you're newer, Yahweh, that's a different word, Y-A-H-W-E-H. This is a good reminder. Uh, let me explain what that is. If you look there, it says the love of the Lord, capital O-L-E. That is, in Hebrew, it's the name Yahweh. And it's kind of nice that this past Sunday, uh, Abner Chow talked about that. He talked about the divine name. God has a name in the Old Testament. It's Yahweh. And before you get weirded out and think, is this something weird? It, it actually just means I am. 
In other words, God is who God is. Expect who God is. Uh, you can expect God to be who he is. If you were with us when we looked at the book of Exodus, we learned about that a, a little over a year ago. That's the name. So when we say Yahweh, it's there. And the reason I bring that up is it's interesting because creation tells us there is a God, but scripture tells us what that God is like. It gives us more detail. It helps us understand him because in scripture, God has spoken to us. Did you notice as I read through verses seven through nine, the repetition? Seven, the law of Yahweh. Seven again, the testimony of Yahweh. Eight, the precepts of Yahweh. The commandment of Yahweh. The fear of Yahweh. The rules of Yahweh. This book is a book from God. David here, you can get into like, what is a law and what is a testimony? What is a precept? And you're kind of like differentiating. David is just finding different ways to talk about the Bible, to talk about God's word. The point is not necessarily that we would dissect all of those. The point is that we'd understand God has spoken to us. Here's what we know about God's word. And here are the benefits of hearing God's word and reading God's word and meditating on God's word. And so all of these are describing different aspects as his commands, his instructions, himself. These are telling us what it's like to read God's word and what are the benefits of that. Well, what do we learn of God's word to us? We learn that it's, verse seven, perfect. That means spotless, means without defect. This is a God, Numbers 23 says, who does not lie. He does not deceive us. By the way, well, obviously, God, that's not true historically. Allah, the God of Islam, is a deceiver. Now, he's not real, but in their scripture, he tricks people. He deceives people. Now, the gods of the Greeks and the Romans, they're, they're basically just like humans with superpowers, and they're vengeful, and they're cunning, and they're deceitful. You cannot really trust them or ever know if they're for you, but this is a God whose word is perfect. And you can know that he will always act according to what he has revealed. Now notice this. Notice this benefit. I think the best way to go through 7 and 9 is just to look at these benefits. What does this word do that's perfect? It revives the soul. It revives our soul. Psalm 23 is a verse many of you know. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. And then verse three says, he restores my soul. That's just one of those phrases I almost feel like doesn't even need explanation. Because we've all been there when our, our spiritual pulse is barely hanging on. That we could just tell like something's not right. And not just something's not right outside of me, Something's not right inside of me. I'm discouraged or I'm, I'm just wrong in the way I act. You know what God's word does? It reinvigorates. It realizes. Just as God breathed life into Adam and gave him a pulse, and just as he spoke life into the universe out of nothing, so God, through his word, gives life to our souls. Friends, if you want to be the, the human that God made you to be, what needs to change first is not the inside. 
And God does his soul care, not by meditating on the clouds, but by hearing from the God that spoke those clouds into existence. That's how he works in us. He says his testimony is sure. His testimony is sure, that means it's reliable. You can depend on God's word. And again, I would just, I would just test to you this, uh, this summer, if, you, if you're not sure if that's a true claim, come read the Bible and find the reliability of God's word. What does it do for us? It makes wise the simple. One commentator said you could, really, you could literally rephrase this as it wises up the simple. Um, contrary to probably most of our beliefs, we are not as smart as we are. I mean that uh, in our studies, the human brain's not fully developed until it's 25. Let the reader understand. But I also bring that up because we are naive. Uh, we're naive because we ponder in our own wisdom. We're naive because we listen to bad sources of wisdom. Um, I just, I just want to tell you now, when I was in high school, you're probably not like this, but I was a dummy because I probably got most of my, my advice from my friends who had the same amount of life experience as I did. You guys don't do that, I know. You probably all ask advice from older people all the time, but I was a dummy. Well, the Bible tells us that the word gives us wisdom. We figure out how to navigate life skillfully, how to think about life in light of eternity. The Bible makes us wise, helps us to see things, not, not just book smarts, but it gives us street smarts, social smarts, how to live skillfully. The precepts of the Lord, verse 8, are right, rejoicing the heart. Precept there is, is going to be similar to his instructions, his commands. And, and what's great is it says that they're right. We'll look at this later when it says they're righteous altogether. But what do they do? They make the heart joyful. And I, I know there are many of you who are like, my life is awesome. And there are many of you who are like, my life's pretty good. But I know there are at least some of you who are like, man, my life is terrible. My life stinks. My home life is a mess. My personal life is a mess. Uh, my life is not going well right now. There's tragedy, there's trials. You know where you can find joy? Is instruction from a God who understands how the universe operates and who doesn't hide his instructions. I mean, how frustrating is it to be in the classroom with the teacher who doesn't clearly make their expectations known. Or to be with the coach who you can't really figure out what it is that they want. Or to have the boss that seems like they're upset about one thing one day and they're upset about the opposite thing the other day. Maybe there's a parent that you know that's like that. God is not like that. Because his precepts, because his, his rules, his structure of how things work are certain, we can thrive joyfully, knowing if we are on the right track knowing if we're living how we're supposed to. God gives us joy in his word. Friend, if you want satisfaction, it's knowing the God uh, who's given us this word. Let's keep going. I'll go a little faster. The commandment of the Lord is pure. That means it's without stain. It's without any malice. Enlightening the eyes. Enlightening the eyes there is, uh, is not a phrase, uh, again, for seeing things with wisdom. Enlightening the eyes has to do with uh, strength, um, you know this, right? Because in the morning when you have school at 7.30, you know who's tired and you know who's not tired by their eyes, right? The, some of you are still like this. You're just barely walking in. This will be what it's like at camp when they have you come to breakfast at 6.10 in the morning and you're just lumbering in. You're tired, right? But then your eyes open up after you eat that 
delicious hash brown. And, uh, and what? It gives you the strength for the day and all the nutrients and, and whatnot. Well, that's the thing. God's word revitalizes. It strengthens us what we need. It, it, it gives us endurance for the day. And, and so going through life trying to honor the Lord without reading the word is like saying like, well, I'm going to be like an athlete. I'm going to work out five hours a day and run, but, but I'm just not going to eat food. You need strength. You need the Bible like you need food. I want to go through this. I want to focus on this last one here. It says, the fear of Yahweh is clean. The next one says, the rules of Yahweh are true, the righteous altogether. That again is saying God's rules, if you look at God's rules, they're really good. You know what's interesting about verse 9 is both these phrases talk about how the word of God affects our view of God. So let me help you here. Sometimes, you've heard this before, people will say things like, the Bible is a compass, or the Bible is a roadmap, right? And it is. It is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. But notice it describes the Bible as the fear of God. Let me explain why. The Bible is not so much like an instruction guide you'd get from Ikea as it is a biography, like you read a biography to learn about a person. When we read the Bible, what we should always come away with, in fact, what you'll even notice if you is if you go to the next page, it'll say, what stood out in the passage? But the next question for your daily reading is, what does this passage say about God? The reason we do that is because when you read the Bible, your impression should not always be, okay, what does this say for me? What should I do with this? But what is this telling me about the God of the universe? And when we read the Bible rightly, you know what it helps you to do? It helps you to fear God. If you're reading the Bible rightly, your, your view of God goes up and you tremble before him. You're overwhelmed before him. And you read his rules and say, man, God is righteous. He's good. So we see here that reading the Bible isn't just about the benefits I get it's changing my view of God. And if your view of God isn't increasing, you're either not reading the Bible or you're not reading it rightly. The Bible, John Piper says, is a window. I look through the Bible to see the God that's being revealed in it. That's what we want. And that's why David says, because when you look at God, that's why he says, it's better than gold and fine gold and sweeter than honey and because I see God as I look at God's word. More than just an answer sheet for how I should live my life, the Bible helps me know him. And that's why we read it, friends. How strange it would be to live a life that honors God if we want to keep back from really knowing God. But did you notice as we read this, verses 11 through 14, are really different. It, the, the, the emphasis changes. Like The word is sweet, it's good. And moreover, by them, your servant is warned. Why is that? Because as I read the Bible, not just as I look to the God who's speaking to us, as I see him in his glory, what becomes abundantly clear is my sin is how I fall short of this God's standards. Not just fall short, 
how I want to rebel against this God, how I love doing that which he forbids me to do, how I love holding back from doing that which he tells me to do. And so that's why David says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Do you know why we go to the word of God? Because the word of God helps us see how we're for God's standard. It's not the only reason we go. We go to see God, but as we do that, we see where we sin. Some of you love progress reports. You love that six-week mark into school because you're ready to show mom and dad, mom and dad, check this out. Not bad, right? Come on, I'm killing the game this year, mom and dad. I'm, I'm getting after it. But some of your mom and dad are like, I know, I wrote your progress report. But either way, like some of you love it because you're like, you're ready to flex and you're ready to show people this is how well things are going. And some of you hate progress reports because you know it's gonna be bad. You just know this is not gonna go well. Some of you are like, man, I already know report cards are coming soon. I don't like that. The same goes for like, uh, uh, you know, annual meetings with your manager. Like some of us want feedback, but some of us don't like that because we don't want to hear how things are going well. Let me tell you my guess of why many of you don't want to read the Bible. You probably don't want to read it because you know if you read it and it's true, you're going to have to think God is great. You read it and you're going to see where you fall short. Nobody... Nobody wants others to see how dirty their room is. Nobody wants people to know their secrets, and nobody wants to know their faults. And so we stay back. But friends, you can't worship this God rightly unless you allow him to expose you. He says, I go to your word and it's precious, but I go to your word and it's revealing. And so as I read it, Lord, keep me back from sins. And then he prays, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Reading the word, seeing the glory of God in the word leads him to cry out to God, say, help me to be holy. And if you're reading the Bible rightly, you are gonna have that same sort of desperation. Help me to honor you, God. I see your glory, I see where I fall short. But do you notice the Bible shouldn't lead us to making some sort of payment plan with God. God, I promise to do better. I promise to turn it around. I promise by the end of the summer, I'm gonna be more lovely because I'm gonna read more, say bad things less. I'm gonna do it. David puts his trust in a God who is a rock and a redeemer. That is, he's a rock. He's, he's trustworthy. Friends, I want to tell you, if you, as you read God's word, God is a God you can lean on. You can trust him. That's what the word faith is. Faith means to cast your weight upon him. I'm trusting you to care for me. And a redeemer is a rescuer. As our sin is revealed in the scriptures, God is not a, 
co-investor in your personal renovation project. He's a redeemer. He rescues us out of sin. Friends, we know that by the living word, right? Jesus Christ. Jesus who came not to call righteous people, but sinners. Jesus who came to pay the penalty for sins we've committed so that we could actually be forgiven. So as we go to God and ask him for, for holiness, we know he's a rock we could trust. We know he's a redeemer who's rescued us. And we know by his word, he'll help us honor him. Friends, I want you to read the Bible this summer, not because it's what a good Christian should do. Uh, I want you to read it not be, so you could feel better about yourself. I want you to read it not only just because it'll clean up your life, although it has that effect. I want you to read it because God is glorious. And you can know and see his glory in creation, but you could hear from him and behold his glory personally as we look at his word every day. This is a God who wants you to know him. Don't miss out on this glory. Let me pray. Father, you have blessed us beyond what we deserve. We are so thankful that you are not a God who is silent. So many of our idols are silent. But God, you are not silent. You are a God who is immense, immeasurable, but you are a God who is near. And you draw near to us as we hear your word, Lord. Help us to behold your glory. Help us to see your glory in the word. Help us to see the glory of your son. And help us to fear you, to obey you, and to worship you. Thank you that you are our rock. Let me pray. Amen.